And now a reading from the Psalm 84. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make this place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be, in, will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayers. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He, boasts, he bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. And now a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Jesus went through one town and village after teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then in reply, he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, you all evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And from the book of Revelation, listen, I am standing at the door knocking if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This fall we have been thinking and studying and praying together about the possibilities as well as the problems of community our community with God, our community with each other, indeed our community 
of all of those who live on the planet Earth. It's no secret that there is much division in our world today. Perhaps there always has been. Perhaps there are times when there has been more, times when there has been less. But all sensitive, thinking, caring people are grieved by the lack of unity that exists. Sometimes between married people, sometimes in families, certainly within the family of the human race. And so we've been asking ourselves the question of whether or not our faith might teach us something or lead us to a place where we might receive some instruction or inspiration, some guidance, if you will, about how we are to live in this context where unity and community seems to be such an elusive thing. And even living in a place where some create disunity for the sake of their own purposes. We have turned to look at the present and have hope for the future by then going to the past. And we've been thinking about what our faith says and we've been thinking as well about how this place in which we worship expresses that faith. We gathered around the table the first Sunday of September and remembered that, that God in Jesus came to be with us, to express that unity and community with us, and how God calls everyone in the human family to gather around the table and there to find not only forgiveness and life through Christ, but also to find a family, a family of faith. We talked about this pulpit. And the fact that God calls us to sit under his word, to place ourselves under its authority, to be corrected and directed by what is said in his word. Not to follow our own pathways, our own ideas and imagination of what is real and right and good, but to follow the Lord. We talked about the baptismal font how we need to be cleansed of all of that which is corrupted and disrupted, all of that which is not the image of God in us, how we need to be buried to an old way of life and resurrected to a new way of life, and in that find a way of life that welcomes and loves and creates further community. We've talked about the pews. I know most people don't think of the pews as liturgical furniture in the same way as we think of the table or the font or the pulpit, but the pews are highly liturgical. They're deeply important to us, so much so that I receive far more complaints about the pews than anything else in the church. The pews are too soft, the pews are too hard, and some few say the pews are just right. <laughs> Goldilocks is alive and well. But the pews are important. They are the place in which we come to sit and be with each other as we are with God. Today, let's talk about the doors. 
Now, I know I never really thought much about the doors into a church as being all that significant. I shared with you on Friday how sometimes I try to get through locked doors to get into a church. I've never been caught, so that's a good thing, I suppose. I don't know. Can they arrest you for breaking into a church? You know, not going to steal the silver candlesticks or anything. Are the doors a piece of liturgical furniture? Do they say anything to us? Well, I'll let you into a secret about what goes on in my mind as I try to prepare messages to share with you. My mind goes all over the place. I started thinking about the doors, and then all of a sudden I started thinking about the doors. In 1965, the doors became one of the most successful rock bands of all time, and Jim Morrison skyrocketed to fame. And I started to ask myself the question, why would a band choose a name like The Doors? Why not a name like The Walls, or The Tables, or The Chairs, or The Kitchen Sink? Maybe there is a band named The Kitchen Sink, is there? I don't know. Somebody do a Google search right now. Let's find out about it, right? Why would they name themselves The Doors? And so here's what I found out. The Doors took their name from a book that was published in 1954 by Aldous Huxley. The title of the book was The Doors of Perception. Aldous Huxley wanted to find the true meaning of life. Aldous Huxley wanted to know what reality was all about. Aldous Huxley was on a theological, religious quest. And so, being that it was 1954, what he did was take some mescaline. And in the context of psychedelic experience, he wrote about what he believed to be the truth of all reality. Interestingly, though, that's not the end of the story. But wait, there's more. Aldous Huxley took the name for his book, published in 1954, from another book that was published in 1793 by the famous poet and writer William Blake. That book was entitled The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And it was Blake's own description of his quite unorthodox theology and philosophy of life. In Blake's book, there was a phrase, the doors of perception. So I went back and found that phrase. I want to read it to you. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. Let me read that again. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. There's the problem again. How are we going to see God? 
How are we going to know the deep truth about all reality and get ourselves somehow into touch with it all? That's the religious quest that's in every human heart. That's the quest that probably led the folks who sang with the doors. It's the quest that led Aldous Huxley. It's the quest that Blake pursued. It's the quest that we pursue. How can we know God? It has to do with the doors. One of my very favorite portions of the scripture, a portion that so many folks in the church know because it's such a beautiful expression, is the 84th Psalm. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So I started a search in the scriptures and I came across all kinds of doors. There are more than we can talk about right now. The 84th Psalm celebrates the fact that the Jews believed that God had come to be with them, that God had revealed himself to them. They didn't need mescaline, they didn't need their own fantastical ideas because God had revealed himself to them in their history, in their experience, in the power of the Spirit through his prophets. God revealed to them that they should build a place where God himself would dwell with them. Ancient peoples believed that all of the gods had their homes. That's why you went to worship at the temple or the shrine or the altar, because that's where your God was. And the Jews picked up on that idea and said, this temple, this place is where our God is. Now, they knew, of course, that God was everywhere, but it helps to talk about God and to meet God and to think about God in a particular place. That's why we go to church, is so that we can place ourselves before the God who is everywhere. The 84th Psalm is a celebration as the people of Israel gather from all over the region of Palestine and the Middle East to come and to worship in the temple. And of course, they go through the valley of Baca. I don't know that this really has anything to do with the sermon, but we got to talk about it. <laughs> Scholars have no clue where the Valley of Baca actually was. They actually debate about what it means. The best scholars that I could find had some very disturbing news, Hugh. I wanted to tell you that the Baca name, that word means virile and strong and powerful and amazing beyond belief. I know that's what you would expect. <laughs> Apparently, the best we can find out is that the Valley of Baca actually referred to the Valley of Tears, the Valley of Weeping. I happen to believe that there was no such physical place, that it was a metaphorical place in the mind of the psalmist who said that as we go to worship God, we go through a valley of tears, a valley of weeping. We go through the struggles and pain of life, but because God is with us, 
God turns our tears into springs of living water, into pools of life-giving water. And then we get to the temple where God is. The main point of the psalm is that we must take ourselves to the place where God is. Knowing that he's everywhere, but in the human spirit we need a place. A special place set aside where we can go to God and say, God, here we are. Now that's just one example of doors in Scripture. We go through the doors of the temple into the presence of God. There's lots of others. I'm going to tell you about a couple more. Jesus is sharing with the crowds about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says two notable things about the doors. He says that it is a very narrow door that you must go through in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says that there will be a time when the kingdom of heaven's doors will be shut. And some who think they're inside will find that they are not. And there will be some inside who others thought could never possibly get there. These are hard sayings of Jesus, but they're true sayings of Jesus. The entryway into the presence of God is not everywhere. It's not everything. There are doors that lead you down the wrong path. Just like, what was that show? It wasn't The Price is Right. The one with Monty Hall, where you had to choose between door number one door. Yes, yes, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. You had to pick the door, right? If you pick the right door, you got a car or you got a vacation in San Diego or you got some exotic thing, right? If you pick the wrong door, you don't get what you want. Jesus said there are wrong doors. There is one door. It's a narrow door. Jesus also said that not everyone goes through that door, even maybe when they think they have. Jesus, in his time, was dealing with a group of people who thought that simply by virtue of their birthright as Jews, that they were already in God's good favor. And Jesus said, no, that's not what it's about. It's about what you choose, what you believe, what you do, about how you respond to the grace of God. And so there you have it. There's, there's a narrow door. You've got to find that door. And then you've got to walk through it. One more instance when doors are spoken of in Scripture that I want to mention today. And then we'll pull it all together. It's a story from Revelation when the spirit of the risen Christ is revealing his truth through John. And Jesus says through John, I am standing at the door, knocking. This isn't about the door that takes us into the temple. This isn't about the door that takes us into the presence of the living God and into his kingdom. This is about your door, the door to your heart. The door to the very central core of your being, of your reality, of your hopes, of your joys, of your intentions. Jesus says, I'm waiting to come into your life. 
I'm waiting to be the center of all that you believe, all that you say, all that you do, all that you are. Clearly, Jesus knew that some would choose to open the door and others might choose to close it. So what do these doors say to us about how it is that we have a relationship with God that produces within us the kind of godliness that issues forth in love, in fellowship, in unity and community? We believe that we must come together to be in a place where we give special attention to God. We believe that we must come through the doors and place ourselves before the living God so that we can learn the truth, the way, the life. We believe that we must open the doors of our hearts so that this living God can come into us to transform us, to change us. And then we believe that we must go out those very same doors because God is out there all over the world. God is at work in churches in Iraq and in Syria and in Lebanon and in China and even in North Korea. Our job is to go out of the doors to take this God whom we know, this truth that we know, this life that we live, a life that welcomes everyone in to meet the only one who is the doorway to God, the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's our privilege. That's our calling. Amen. Amen.